0: Good morning. It's good to be with you. Man, it's good to be worshiping today. Let me add my welcome to the one I hope you just received. Uh, my name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, if it's, maybe it's your first Sunday here today. If, if so, I'm so glad you're here. I hope I have a chance to meet you at some point. Uh, let's together turn our attention to God's Word. And we're not going to be in the Gospel of Mark today because that I like to keep you on your toes. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19, reading the same um, story about this rich young man, but from Matthew's uh, perspective. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. Give you a second to turn there. All right, this is God's Word. And behold... A man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that today, as you invite us to come and follow you and to sell what we have and to buy treasure that will never spoil or fade. That we would not walk away sad, uh, but that we would take you up on your offer to give more of ourselves away to you for your kingdom. I pray that that would be the case in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've spent the spring talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and we've been talking about it as this pathway, and we've been focusing our sermon texts around these seven teachings of Jesus that we say make up the pathway of discipleship. And last week we ended our, our series, but this week I wanted to say that the path doesn't end. Like, maybe we thought we reached our destination, that we were at the end, that we are now disciples of Jesus. Uh, But the way of the disciple, um, Jesus is always calling us deeper. He's always calling us further up, deeper in. And if you wanted to look at a text in the Gospels in which Jesus invites a person deeper, it would be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more explicit example than the invitation that we find in Matthew here to this rich young man. And one of the things that I've been praying about this week as we've come to this text is that we'd see it with fresh eyes. You can be too familiar with a text And you can miss its punchline as a result. You can be too familiar with a joke and then it's not funny anymore. Um, We tend to miss the point of this text because we know that the man is rich and we know he's going to turn down Jesus' offer. But we don't learn either of those things until the end of the text. At the beginning it just says, a man came up to Jesus. And because we know the punchline, we stop identifying with this individual who comes to Jesus with, with, I think, a sincere and honest question. Uh, This story is told in all three of the synoptic Gospels, and in Luke and Mark, they tend to focus on how far this man has to go. But Matthew seems to want us to pay attention to how far he has already come. He is a person already following God, interested in the kingdom of God. He has a little bit of God and a lot of worldly comforts. And he's feeling empty. His pursuit of God has got him thinking there might be more to life with God. So he comes to Jesus curious. He says, I think there's more. What am I missing? What do I lack? And in that way, I think he stands for all of us who have a little bit of God and a lot of worldly comfort, which I think is a lot of us. I think he stands in the place of all of us who in the deep parts of our soul ask, is this all that there is? Isn't there more to life and living? Isn't there something deeper that I can give my life to? Isn't there more to the kingdom of God? I mean, are you familiar with that quiet, loving, nagging, sense that there's more and that God is not done with you we shouldn't vilify this young man because his questions are our questions and his journey is our journey and the invitation that he receives from Jesus is extended graciously today to every single one of us. The question is, how will we respond? So let's walk through the text together, shall we, my friends? And let's see what we find. Let's start at the beginning. It's a good place to start. Verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher... What good deed must I do to have eternal life? And I think it's important for us to understand this man's question. We will get twisted in knots if what we hear the man saying is something like, How do I go to heaven when I die? If that's the framework you have for hearing this man's question, everything in the story is going to surprise you. Because Jesus says, oh, it's not about doing. It's about receiving. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't talk about forgiveness of sins. He doesn't talk about grace. He doesn't say, oh, no, to get to heaven, you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and you will be saved. That's not what he says. Because that's not what the man was asking. Um he simply wouldn't have had these categories. Certainly in asking about eternal life, he was, at least to some degree, asking to be a part of God's future. That future day when God would act finally and decisively in the world to make all things right, all things new. When God acted and was finally in charge of the whole place. Uh, But this man would also have a category for a life lived in the present that would be commensurate with that future. So eternal life, or in the scriptures literally life of the age to come, or the life of the kingdom of heaven, was something that wasn't just coming in the future, but it was something that Jesus was offering people Now, not just a future world in which God was in charge, but a life in the present where God could begin his reign now, a life where God was in charge, eternal life, the life of the kingdom, life of the age to come. What must I do? To have eternal life. What good thing must I do? And Jesus answers that question. And the first thing he does is he corrects a misconception. And I'll try to bring it through, uh, bring out his point through emphasis. Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. You get that? Jesus changes the man's focus from what to who. That the pathway to going deeper with God does not begin with a good plan, but with the goodness of God Himself. In other words, deepening in your discipleship is not about finding the right technique or book, or podcast, or plan, but a beautiful life flows from having been with a beautiful God. A life of depth comes from knowing and being known by a God who is the source of all goodness. And who wants to be in relationship with you. Cherishing God. Do you think that that's where obedience starts with cherishing God? It reminded me of a story. One of my favorite saints is Henri Nouwen. And he tells a story about interacting with one of his favorite saints, Mother Teresa. There's a lot of spiritual, these are spiritual heavyweights. Talking with one another about life. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. And uh, he asked her for wisdom. How, do you, how did you get the life that you had, Mother Teresa? And her answer was this. She said, I spend one hour every morning adoring the Lord. Period. One hour every morning just cherishing God for His goodness, for His beauty, for His character. That's something that you can do to deepen in your discipleship. That's where it starts. Not with a good plan, but with a good God. Now there is stuff to do, <laughs> but our doing flows from being known by this God and so Jesus doesn't want us to get the cart before the horse but then we go to the cart <laughs> and he says if you would enter life keep the commandments and he mentions there five of the ten commandments and also the second of the great commandments And we'll get back to why he mentions the ones that he does, but notice that these commands all have to do with loving people. That if you want to walk in the way of life and have a life where God is in charge, if you want to get let in on the ground floor, you start with loving people. You begin with neighbor love. This is entry-level discipleship. You got to start somewhere. And when it comes with, to Jesus, you start with love, loving people. But then listen to the man's response in verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what still do I lack? Now tell me if I'm wrong, but when we hear the man say that he's kept his commandments, we tend to think of him as being a little full of himself. And perhaps there's a little bit of that here. But everything in the text points to him being sincere. A person who has done these basic commandments, but a person who knows that there's more this is the first time we learn that he's a young man and Matthew is the only gospel writer that points out that he's young. And I think that his point is to say not that just he was young in age but that he was young in spiritual maturity. He was immature in a number of different ways and I think that sense is strengthened in the next line when he says what do I lack I'm not there yet. I'm missing something. I think we're supposed to read him as a sincerely moral and religious young man who is eager to take the next step. And I think Jesus' answer confirms this because he doesn't say, Humble yourself. He doesn't tell a story about a publican and a tax collector. He says... Tenderly, Mark says he looked at him and loved him, but he says, if you would be perfect. And that word's important in Matthew. Jesus, is, Jesus uses it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And whatever perfect is in Matthew, it can't be not messing up. It can't be not from time to time blowing up your discipleship, because that happens to all of us. There's nobody who's like that. But in Matthew's gospel, this word perfect actually means to be complete or mature. It's it's teleos in the Greek. It's, It's your... If you want to get to your perfect end, this is what you have to do. And so a young man saying, I've come this far, but I feel like there's more. Jesus, what am I lacking? And Jesus just says, well, if you want to be mature, if you want to be complete, here's level two. (laughs) Here's next level discipleship. And he tells him three things sell, give, and follow. Sell, give, and follow. First, sell. He says, go sell what you possess. Now, that makes us nervous. Uh, But we need to know that that wasn't a universal command. Um, there were very many people who follow Jesus and have followed Jesus throughout the years who have taken a vow of voluntary poverty. And everyone is universally called to a life of extraordinary generosity. But we know throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Gospels, that there are many people with, with many possessions who are faithful and who, who love Jesus. And so Jesus wasn't saying... Everyone should sell everything that they have. Give to the poor. Um, What he was doing was exposing that in this young man's life, uh, his attachment to his possessions had really messed up his heart and his discipleship. He loved his possessions too much. He didn't have his possessions... His possessions had him. What Jesus was exposing was that this good thing in his life had become an ultimate thing. And if he was going to have more of the life of the kingdom of God, more of the life that is truly life, he was going to have to ask the questions about what was really calling the shots in his life. Who was really in charge? God or money? And this is next level discipleship. Remember the commandments that Jesus had listed for the individual previously? It's interesting to consider why he listed those particular commandments. And I think it's this, that they're all external and observable. In other words, you know when you murder someone. You don't wake up and be like, oh, I, I think, did I commit adultery? I don't know. You know when you honor someone, when you lie or steal, but it doesn't mention coveting. Because coveting is a matter of the heart. It doesn't mention having other gods before God, because that's a matter of the heart. It doesn't mention the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The next level of discipleship is not external and observable. It's dealing with your heart. It's going inside. The hardest work we do as disciples is the work of reordering our loves, of learning to place Our affections on the right objects. Of dethroning our idols in our worldly masters. What do I need to go and sell to give up to experience more of the life of God? More of the life of the kingdom. And here's a hint. It's almost assuredly something you don't want to let go of. He says sell. And then he says give. He tells the man not just to sell his possessions but to give to the poor and then you will have heavenly treasure. That the pathway to maturity is always to give more and more of ourselves away. More and more of our times and energies and talents to the things that will matter for eternity. I tend to think we go backwards, though, that as we get older, we tend to give more and more of ourselves to distractions and to trivial things. Why is being on fire for God a thing that young people talk about? That's for the mature. That's for those who have something to give to the world. And he says, Give. He says, Man, you need a renewed perspective on what matters. You need to give to the poor. And I'll tell you that nothing will reorient your priorities, nothing will get you to think about. Heavenly treasure more than getting involved with people who have real need The minute you do that And start to get involved in their lives whatever those needs might be it changes your perspective It changes the way you spend your money It changes the way you spend your time There's only There's only two things from this world that will never pass away God's word and promises and people. And when you invest your resources into people, you are making an eternal decision. Luke says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. So sell, evaluate your loves give reorient your life to things that matter for eternity and finally follow me it's just a reminder that when we're called to mature our standard isn't like our we don't put our life against a list of commandments we're not following a list of commandments we're following a person and our standard is jesus himself my standard for who i am supposed to be and how i'm to love my neighbor and my wife is the person of jesus who is love in 3d love in technicolor so in other words we don't orient our lives or define maturity based on abstract principles, but we look at the life of Jesus and the heart of Jesus. And I promise you're never going to get to the end of that. But He's who we're becoming. Love in 3D. Kingdom in the flesh. You know, when something breaks down in my house, Where do you go when something breaks down in your house? Where do you go to find out how to fix it? YouTube. YouTube, every single time. I could go to a book about how to fix the rotor thingy on my car, but I'll never understand it, but there's some guy in Michigan who has my car and who, in the kindness of his own heart has filmed himself fixing the exact thing that I need to fix and only through watching YouTube have I ever fixed anything <laughs> when you need a repair on your life your heart your marriage you don't go to you go to love in 3D you go to Jesus. We don't judge maturity on abstract principles, but on the, per- the beauty of the person of Christ. And so this man asks, what do I lack? And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, sell, give, follow. Follow. And of course, we're very familiar with the young man's response. He went away sorrowful. And notice way he went, Notice this, he went away sad, not bad. He wasn't ready yet to sell. He chose instead to live with the inner ache that he came to Jesus with in the first place. He chose to live with that sense that there's more to life than the life he's living. And that is a sad choice, isn't it? I think we make that same choice all the time. We've grown comfortable living with that lingering sense that there is more to God and more to life. And when we come to these texts that call us to a deeper or more radical discipleship, when we come to these texts that ask us to surrender our life a little more fully, I feel like most of the time we think we're experiencing guilt when actually we're just walking away sad. But here's the thing. God is a God of second chances and third chances. 13th chances 40th chances 100 chances and he comes to us again and again and today he asks do you want to become perfect? why not become all flame? do you know that story about why not become all flame? let me tell you this story, um, the desert, the desert monks who were like sages and hermits and like discipleship ninjas lived out in Egypt in the third centuries, and their sayings and stories are collected in this volume called "The Sayings of the Desert Fathers." And there's this famous story that's told in these sayings that just might be a homily on this passage. I'll read it to you. Abba Lot, so this is Father Lot, and he's coming to Father Joseph, his mentor. Father Lot came to see Father Joseph and said, Father, accordingly as I am able, I keep my little rule, so my, my Christian disciplines, and my little fast, my prayer, meditation." And contemplative silence. And accordingly as I am able. I strive to cleanse my heart of bad thoughts. What more should I do? And the elder rose up. And in his reply he stretched out his hands to heaven. And his fingers became like ten lamps of fire. And he said, why not become All flame. I doubt that happened, but it's a cool story. (laughs) And that almost perfectly describes the young man before Jesus. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, I've given up some stuff for God. I'm following him, but I feel like there's something missing. What more should I do? And Jesus' answer is simple and direct. You've given me some. Give me the rest. Why not become all flame. You know, usually we invite Jesus into our lives because there's something that our soul needs. We need help with. There's something in our life that needs fixed. And uh, so he's like, you know, he's like a plumber of the soul that we let into our house to fix up a clog. Uh, and then we end up liking him, so we're like, "How about you stay in the guest room? How about you rent for a while?" And then we rent him some space, and sooner or later, he says, "I think I want to buy some space in your house of your soul." And when I was thinking about that image, I thought about a poem that that uses this imagery and captures this brilliantly both in our, the terms of our resistance to handing over more of our life to God and of God's infinite patience in dealing with us. The poem is called Covenant, and I want to share it with you now if I can. The father knocks at my door seeking a home for his son. Rent is cheap, I say. I don't want to rent I want to buy, says God. I'm not sure I want to sell, but you might come in and look around. I think I will, says God. I might let you have a room or two. I like it, says God. I'll take two. You might decide to give me more someday. I can wait, says God. I'd like to give you more. But it's a bit difficult. I need some space for me. I know, says God, but I'll wait. I like what I see. Hmm, maybe I can let you have another room. I really don't need that much. Thanks, says God. I'll take it. I like what I see. I'd like to give you the whole house. But I'm not sure. Think on it, says God. I wouldn't put you out. Your house would be mine, and my son would live in it. You'd have more space than you'd ever have before. I don't understand at all. I know, says God, but I can't tell you about that. You'll have to discover it for yourself. And that can only happen if you let him have the whole house. A bit risky, I say. Yes, says God. But try me. I'm not sure. I'll let you know. I can wait, says God. I like what I see. God is very patient with us. Is he not? And today he stands on the, at the door and knocks again. Asking for more of our lives. And if we open the door and we say, Lord, what am I missing? I imagine that his answer will be very similar to what he said to the young man. You need to sell give, and follow. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess that we know what it's like to feel you stirring us up and drawing our calling to us calling us to yourself we know what it's like to have that feeling of emptiness of saying man there's more to life than what than the life i'm living there's there's more than these possessions which spoil and fade. There's heavenly treasure and I want more of it. And You so graciously come to us again and again, calling us further up and deeper in. Calling us from the external and observable things to study our hearts. To see where, have I, where are my loves messed up? Where do my riches have me rather than I have them? What are, what's the power, or the, what's the relationship or the job or whatever that has too much power in my life and that's stealing my joy? And what would it be like to sell, to give, to surrender that part, the next room of the mansion of my soul to the Jesus who loves me so much? And some of us, it's not being called to let go, we're being called to something and it just seems risky. We're being called to give. And Lord, I pray that you would be with those folks who have this sense of calling or purpose on their hearts and they just don't know if they have what it takes. And I pray that they would know the God who makes all things possible for them and that they would risk on him. And bet on Him. And I pray that all of us would know what it means to follow Jesus in all of His depth. In His love, in His mercy, in His kindness, in His character. That we are being forged into the image of Jesus. Not about a checklist of external rules, but a person with a certain kind of heart. And that that would keep us motivated to continue to follow and most of all, wonders of wonder, that we are children of God, it's hard to enter the kingdom of heaven, impossible one who is not Jesus and those connected to Him. But He has made a way for us. And that is such a great gift. May it never, may we never stop laughing that like camels get through the eye of needles in God's economy because of what Jesus has done. We give you thanks and praise and would you make it clear to us, Lord, what the next step of discipleship might be for each one of us and that we would have the courage to take it. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.